Welcome to episode 61 of Lucretius Today. I am your host, Cassius, and together with my panelists from the EpicureanFriends.com forum, we'll walk you through the six books of Lucretius's poem and discuss how Epicurean philosophy can apply to you today. We encourage you to study Epicurus for yourself, and we suggest the best place to start is the book Epicurus and His Philosophy by Canadian professor Norman DeWitt. For anyone who's not familiar with our podcast, please check back to episode one for a discussion of our goals and our ground rules. If you have any questions about those, please be sure to contact us at epicureanfriends.com for more information. In this episode, we'll begin discussion of the well-known ending of book four, which addresses in great detail the perils of romantic love. Our text today is Latin lines 1037 through 1140, and now let's join Elaine reading today's text. And then what mighty deeds are men hurrying themselves about in their dreams? Then they show their valor and do wonderful exploits. They engage with kings and are taken captive, are in the confusion of battle. They cry out as if they were expiring on the spot. Some are the hottest in the fight and groan with the anguish of their wounds and fill the air with complaints as if they were torn by the teeth of a panther or fierce lion. Some in their sleep talk of the mysteries of state and frequently discover the treason of their own contriving. Some think they are dying away and others falling from the dreadful precipices with all their weight upon the earth are terrified and awake almost out of their senses and can scarce recover themselves from the hurry and distraction of their spirits. Another, parched up with thirst, sits on the river's bank or by the side of a pleasant fountain, and almost drinks down his throat the whole stream. And children in their sleep often fancy that they are near some sink or public pissing place. They think they are taking up their clothes that they may make water freely. And so the Babylonian coverlid with its purple dye and the rich bedding are wet through. And further, those who are in the heat of youth, whose ripening age has well digested the semen through all the limbs, on such the images of every beauteous object strike deeply and show the lovely face and blushing cheek, which so provoke and stimulate the parts, swelling with seed and abundance, that they discharge, as if this deed were done, large floods of moisture and pollute the robe. For, as I said before, the seed begins to boil as soon as mature age has well braced the limbs. Other things are moved and provoked by other impressions, but nothing but the power of beauty can put the human semen into motion, which, as soon as it is ejected from its little cells, flows through the limbs and through every part of the body, and being received into the receptacle of the nerves proper for it, in an instant stimulates the genitals. These parts grow turgid with the semen, and thence proceeds the will to project it where the heat of lust strives to reach. For the mind drives furiously toward the lovely body from when it received the wound of love. Men generally fall upon their wound, and the blood gushes with violence toward the part from which we received the blow. If the murderer be near, the red liquor will spout all over him. So he that is stuck with the darts of Venus, whether some beauteous boy with female charms the arrow casts, or some more beauteous maid that shoots out love from every pore, tends to the part that gave the stroke. He is in raptures to enjoy, 
to inject and to consummate, for the hot desire to the act foreshadows the mighty pleasure that attends it. This is properly Venus to us. This is the deity of love. Hence the drops of sweet delight first strike upon the heart, and the burning fever of succeeding care follows it close. For if the object of your love be absent, her charming image is always before you, and her sweet name is ever thrilling in your ears. But take care that you fly those images and avoid those incentives to love, and divert your mind some other way. Choose to bestow your favors in common. Don't reserve your whole stock for one only, lest by that means you entail anxiety and certain sorrow upon yourself, for the ulcer spreads and grows stubborn by feeding it. The madness increases every day, and trouble becomes the heavier, unless you cure old wounds by new. Or like a rover, remove your first smart by wandering all over the sex, or turn the passion of your mind into some other channel. Nor is he without the pleasures of Venus who disdains the fetters of love, but rather takes the sweet without the pain that follows it. For such a sober lover takes more certain and more unmixed delight than those wretches, those furious votaries, whose mind in the very instant of enjoyment is tossed with a thousand doubts and fears. These know not what sweets they shall first rifle with their hands and eyes. What they fasten upon, they strain hard and give pain to the body. They often fix their teeth in the fair one's lips and pin her down with kisses. And for this reason, because the joy is imperfect and some stings remain which provoke them to hurt the thing, whatever it is, that first put them into a rage. But Venus, in the encounter of love, gently soothes the pain, and the sweet pleasure intermixed restrains the lover's teeth from biting too hard. The lover hopes, perhaps, that his flame may be extinguished by the same object that first blew the fire. But experience shows the contrary of this, for this is the only thing which, the more we enjoy of it, our soul still burns with the eager desire of more. Meat and drink are taken down into the body, and because they fill up certain empty spaces, Therefore, the appetite of eating and drinking is easily satisfied. But from a lovely face and a fine complexion, the body can enjoy nothing but empty images and a fleeting hope scattered by every wind. As a thirsty man desires to drink in his sleep and has no moisture to allay the heat within, but vainly catches at the images of rivers and labors to no purpose and is parched up while he fancies himself quaffing a full stream, so in the business of love, Venus deludes the lover with empty images, nor can he quench his desire by gazing upon the charming object, nor bring away anything from the tender limbs with his hands, as he wanders with wild excess all over the body of his mistress. Besides, when they sport in the flower of their age with their limbs mingled in the embrace, when their bodies feel the coming joy and Venus is employed to sow the female soil, though they eagerly twine with amorous folds and dart their humid tongues and bite and ardently receive each other's breath, tis all to no purpose, for they can carry nothing away from the parts they strain, nor can bodies pierce or be in bodies lost. For this they sometimes wish, for this they contend when they engage, so eagerly are they entangled in the nets of love that their very limbs are dissolved in the excess of pleasure. Then when the collected lust has burst from the nerves, a cessation of the violent ardor ensues for a while. 
But the same rage soon returns, the same fury is renewed, and again they strive to touch the point, the end of their desires. They can find no device to subdue the pain they feel, and so they pine and languish by a secret wound. And then they waste their strength and perish by the labor they go through. And more, they lie under the power of another's will, while their fortune decays and their debts increase. Their duty is neglected and their tottering reputation sickens. Rich pearls and fine shoes of scion shine upon the feet of their mistress. The large emeralds with their green luster are set in gold. And the blue vest is daily stained and continually in use drinks up the sweat of lust. The family estate, acquired with honor, is changed into coronets of ribbons and headdresses sparkling with jewels, and is sometimes turned into costly gowns or garments of melita or sean robes. Besides, they add to these the luxury of feasts and stately couches, plays, frequent carousals, crowns, and garlands. But in vain, for some bitter bubbles up from the very fountain of his delight and poisons all his sweets. Either his own guilty mind stings him for leading such a life of sloth and murdering so large a part of his time, or his mistress has dropped some doubtful word which kindles in his fond heart like fire, or he thinks she has thrown her eyes too freely abroad and glanced upon another, and he discovers the remains of a smiling pleasure upon her face. Well, Elaine, thank you for reading today's excerpt. That was long. <laughs> <laughs> Who would like to start? Martin, in general, before we go and tackle each paragraph. Uh, I'm a little bit puzzled uh, how he comes in this. I mean, he's talking about dreams. And then it goes somehow continues over into uh, <laughs> this uh, section yeah. on uh, on uh, yeah yeah uh, uh, what was the name for that I saw it recently discussed the adjective for this type of love the the, the passionate love or something like that yeah I saw some commentator make the make a connection between discussing war and love as in Mars and Venus, and that there's oh, some type of potential uh, connection there. And the yeah. idea of falling towards your wound and, and the blood spurting out in the direction from of that which wounded you, that's, it's, it's all very interesting. You could see that, yeah. Yeah, but somehow but the, this doesn't but, match my experience. Which I never part, fell Martin? upon any wounds. I, I mean, that, that, that uh, I see this as, as a war and that this is a wound. It is not like that. <laughs> right. so some parts later, some parts later, he observed they, they were the same, but uh, uh, a num number or like this one with the wounds, it just, I just don't get it. Or that l later on, that guy gets uh, jealous. No? Okay, that, that one, well, maybe I was lucky. <laughs> That I uh, just lucky that I don't get into this by nature or whatever. So that one, under different circumstances, I might uh, I, I, that one I can still imagine. And I've seen many men fall into that trap. But still, with the wounds, that's puzzling me. I have this picture in my mind from the movies when somebody has been shot with an arrow or hit with a spear, and they grab the spear and they start staggering in the direction the spear came. Maybe when you had more spears and arrows and swords, people had more experience with the way you react to them than we do today. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, probably people would rather <laughs> move away from where it came from uh, to avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. 
Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What if it hits you in the back? You're not. <laughs> you're not gonna fall backwards, are you? You're gonna fall. I don't know. I'm not a forensic person. Usually, there's some basis for him coming up with something that's uh, like that, but I don't, I don't yeah, know what that right, could be right. other than you know. Again, if you're in a world where everybody. He's using knives and, and swords and, and stabbing things. Maybe you fall forward when you're stabbed in the stomach. I have the picture also of like Julius Caesar being stabbed by Cassius. And I guess it seems like when I see portrayals of that, he'll fall forward or something forward, like yeah. that. So I Maybe we'll have a forensic expert if, come. <laughs> if you're stabbed in 23, 23 times, which direction do you go? <laughs> But I think there may be some truth in this connection between him thinking about uh, war and fighting and then and then carrying over to yeah. to love um, he didn't as have if a you're good struck experience. by something. He just didn't have yeah, a good you know, experience with his love. And I, it's, it's kind of like he got carried away i i, I, agree I with Martin. Think, it was, yes, a, yes, it was yeah. a, a squirrel moment almost it's like here we were talking about dreams and like the minute we thought about like nocturnal emissions or whatever oh we're off you know yeah. <laughs> we got pulled into, into maybe sex. maybe he's <laughs> speaking about ex- from experience yeah I agree with your comment that he might have got carried away here, Elaine, because, you know, it seems to me when I when I think back of what we've read so far and then I think forward to what I think is coming, there's not an awful lot of detail in terms of specific things to do or not do in life, like for food or other activities and so forth. He really, to my recollection, doesn't get into tremendous detail. But when he gets to this subject, boy, he gets into a lot of detail to me. Yeah. More than was necessary, probably. And this is just the first of at least one more week of another hundred lines, because this is only the beginning of his discussion of the details. It gets much more graphic than this. All right, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't we go back to the beginning and try to take it piece by piece, because the first paragraph is sort of beginning of the transition and, and the dreams, as Martin pointed it out. And you do immediately turn over into bedwetting from your dreams. I was just going to mention that it was materialist explanation for bedwetting. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's really, it's it, it's interesting to me. Of course, we know bedwetting is common developmentally. So, of course, it would have been happening back then. It's just funny. It's like, Dad, it. <laughs> they wet the Babylonian cover lid with a purple dye. <laughs> The damn kids thought it was a pissing place. <laughs> and it is. So it's interesting that he groups it together with talking in the sleep because it is a parasomnia. It's, it's similar to sleepwalking, sleep talking, it's sleep peeing. It occurs in stage four sleep. And they're not actually sleeping more deeply, but they're less arousable, which kind of has the same kind of result. So this bedwetting alarms tend to wake up the parents better than they wake the kids up. And, you know, most most people outgrow it gradually as their developmental sleep cycles mature. Elaine, I'm thinking that this might be a clue to the beginning of the direction that, uh, to me, the whole last section of the book here, we're talking about things that you do when you lose control of your maybe bodily urges is not the right way. Your executive function, yeah. Your your, executive function, yeah. yeah. 
first of all, you're asleep in this example when you're waiting to bed while asleep. And then when you move on to the passionate love discussion, you're also to some extent intoxicated or yeah. your, your, your executive function is no longer doing what it's supposed to do to keep you out of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. What about the second passage? Wait a minute. That's, uh, Wait a minute. In this okay, first passage. What is this bit about <laughs> the right. semen throughout the limbs? <laughs> Yeah, That's fascinating. Yeah. The ripening age has well digested the semen through all the all limbs, the limbs. as if it's like the soul that is. Uh, yeah, like he uses limbs pretty interchangeably the throughout this chapter or this book. So. Yeah, but it it sounds like he really thought the semen was going through the whole body, which is, I, I guess, considering how important it is to the propagation of the species i mean it's a pretty important thing semen mm-hmm. for humans then i guess it shouldn't be surprising that he might have thought it, it was everywhere like the soul <laughs> like the nervous system well like if your arm was chopped off i don't think semen would be leaking out like he was talking about the soul being divided well he hasn't said though maybe <laughs> Yeah, I still read this differently. I don't think semen refers to the re- the reproductive fluid. Yeah, I still, oh, I think it know. still reads like something like the seeds. Uh, so like he usually uses seeds to me. So so this is uh, uh, if I, we interpret it as uh, what we call semen, it really doesn't make sense. Well, but Martin, I don't know. This is a translation. We 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 would have to ask for translation help to see if he if he meant something else rather than actual visible semen but i don't i don't know maybe maybe one of our greek people can help with that but i i can see what martin's getting at though, yeah because yeah. the the first sentence in the second paragraph uh the later part of it as as soon as it is ejected from its little cells he's yeah. talking about large floods of moisture this this looks more like sweat to me so that uh they, they sweat in, in, in the dream because of the, this uh, useful heat. Because the semen which comes out is just a teaspoonful, that's not more. So that, that, okay. that doesn't, but that Martin, is a large blood. Mm-hmm. Look in the, second par- in the second part. When it stimulates the genitals, these parts grow turgid with the semen and thus proceeds the will to project it where the heat of lust strives to reach. So he is talking about semen. So that means he is actually talking about uh, spon- uh, yeah, an ejaculation during dreaming. Yeah, yeah, like a uh, mm-hmm. nocturnal emission. Uh-huh. I mean, it could be read like that, yes. But it's, it, some parts of it just don't fit it. So like these large floods of moisture don't match. And uh, uh, also that it goes through all the limbs. So that just doesn't make sense. Well, I don't know mm-hmm. if he's does a little bit of poetic hyperbole there. And um, maybe we'd have to look at the other translations, but when he says these parts grow turgid, he's clearly referring to genitalia there. Yeah, and with the semen and projecting it, it sounds like an ejaculation. But but nothing that anybody's saying, I don't think, would rule out him thinking the the possibility that that this liquid could be circulating throughout the entire body and not just the genitalia. And then yeah, I think that's what he's like saying. It's, I don't, I don't think I would, uh, yeah, I would yeah. try to explain that one away because it's an important thing. I think so that's you might probably think that thinking. an important thing would go through your whole body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's not much. It still doesn't make sense to go everywhere and, <laughs> and to be caught. <laughs> 
So I'm I would like to point out that <laughs> in the second section, nothing but the power of beauty can put the human semen into motion. So that's not true. <laughs> so uh, uh, it turns out there are a small but significant percentage of people who are sexually stimulated by uh, things that most of us would not consider beautiful. Some people are sexually stimulated by, you know, being peed on or by being injured. Um, and that, so it's not, it's like a, the opposite of things that would be considered beautiful. And they're not considering it necessarily beautiful, if I understand correctly, but it triggers you endorphins know, and, um, you know, the response to the pain, just like a runner, a runner's high, I think would be probably similar. From man uh, stirs the human seed, which Bailey said, well, that's not true. Some people are, you know, uh, have uh, bestiality, you know, they're stimulated by animals that's in bailey the second paragraph yeah very same place where in the second second section he says from man only the influence of man stirs human seed but now see i'm thinking if if i'm reading correctly that martin ferguson smith is saying different things are moved and stimulated by different causes and human seed can be elicited from the human body only by the influence of a human being okay and that is pretty much the same right yeah. Well, that's not the that's not the beauty. It's so not there's two beauty. things going on here. You're, yeah, it's not yeah. beauty, but there are people who are sexually aroused by bridges. You know, like I think I've heard I've heard of that. And I would I'm not bridges. Yes, I'm not going to laugh. I'm sorry. At it because <laughs> you know people are different. I just um, have never heard that before. Of right. Right. Yeah. It sounds just, like uh, a like. Like Lucretius, Epicurus, and had not found out of it. But was it happening back then? I bet. I don't know the exact name for it, but uh, yeah, just typically like not speci- not specifically bridges, but just like like manufactured things or things that are constructed. Yeah. Oh, just just taking bars in noodles. That was also one guy who who could only come on that. Could only what? Yeah, to take bars in in a tub of noodles. Hmm? Okay. Yeah. Did so there's say, all sort of fetishes like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right, this this could easily go the this discussion could easily go the wrong direction uh, if you talk about <laughs> details uh, of of weird Maybe things. Cut, so let's try to cut, cut it out as much as you like. <laughs> no, oh, I would, no, leave, I would leave it in. I would leave it in. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I intend to leave it in too. You can I, you can put I, it just uh, uh, a content warning in the beginning that this <laughs> yeah. is not safe for work. <laughs> Yeah. Rated X or whatever. I don't know. No, we have 17 or NSFW. Yeah. But I do think that the first thing the lane, both of the things the lane pointed out are 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 interesting. Certainly the beauty part is an interesting because that does not appear to be the right translation. He's. Yeah, it's interesting. And then the second. The second piece about human and human would also be of clinical interest anyway. Okay. Right. I don't know if it's philosophically of interesting or not. I wonder what Stallings so where is. Are we? Do you have it, Charles? I do, but I'd have to look for it. All right. Well, the second part of that second paragraph is what we discussed earlier about falling towards the wound, which we apparently don't have personal experience to document ourselves. But I think what he's doing there is using that as a transition because he's now going to then discuss receiving a the dart of venus 
and that we're yeah. going to fall towards he who wounds us or she who wounds us. Charles, I found the uh, second installing. It just says, for different things are stimulated each a different way to stir up human seed from man requires human sway. So basically the same as what Bailey is saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a very poetic section, so it would be good to include some parts of Stallings in this, I think. If we are ready to go to the next passage, we can, this next sentence has always been a little bit interesting to me. This pleasure is Venus for us. From it comes Cupid, our name for, for love. From it, first of all, that drop of Venus's sweetness has trickled into our heart and chilly care has followed after. But uh, equating this pleasure is Venus for us has always struck me as being an interesting phrase. Anybody have a comment on what that means? Why should this particular pleasurable activity be called Venus? I mean, because initially he, when he introduces the the whole book, Venus, we took to be pleasure. I mean, yeah, obviously just, he's saying sex is pleasurable, but it almost sounds like he's limiting it to that in a way here. But I don't, I doubt if that's what yeah, he Yeah, I don't know. Do. Limiting, no, I doubt he would limit it, but it's almost right. like this is the ultimate pleasure or this is or yeah and that's the wrong thing to say or maybe the first pleasure or maybe of, he's just saying this this is pleasure you know this is this is venus mm-hmm. this the, it's not bad you know it's pleasure it's a, a good thing because it just follows him saying the mighty pleasure that attends it mm-hmm. and this is this is venus so he's, he's endorsing sex as pleasurable maybe that's that's all it is Martin Ferguson Smith says, this is what we call Venus. This is also what gives us our name for love. This is the source of that honey drop of Venus's sweetness that is first distilled into our heart to be followed by chilling care. Okay, we're getting now to the material that I think is important for us to discuss whether this is intended to be a a flat prohibition against love, sex, and so forth, or whether it is, like other recommendations, contextual. I'm curious. Because he's getting... Yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm curious what Martin and Charles have to say about this section, about the if the object of your love be absent. Well, the later sections of this book... He mentions that it is better to have sex with somebody who you don't have any attachments to. Pretty close to that, saying the same thing in, in this section, yeah. yeah. And, and Martin Ferguson Smith is much more even straightforward in his translation. He says, uh, it is advisable to shun such images, to abstain from all that feeds your love, and to turn your attention elsewhere you should ejaculate the accumulated fluid into any woman's body rather than reserve it for a single lover who monopolizes you and thus involve yourself in inevitable anxiety and anguish. That's pretty straightforward. That is very, it's much more, <laughs> it's much more clear. And it's like more, yeah, it's not more words. It's just, I forget, it um, Lucretius later on calls prostitutes something in regards to Venus, and I forget exactly what it is, but uh, kind of likens them to like a surrogate, like a conduit. Um, actually, so in the in Martin Ferguson Smith, while still uh, unless you obliterate the old wounds with new blows and heal them while still fresh by taking at random some random roaming Venus, 
and Stallings translates it, and with the Venuses of easy virtue cure the flesh. That's an interesting word. What does Monroe say? Which section is this again? That's the third section at the end. What is, okay, Monroe says, roaming abroad after Venus, the pandemian. What is a pandemian? I don't know that word. Makes me think of pandemic. British, uh, it's a British word. Of, of or relating to any of the senses or sense organs, semicolon, bodily, Sensible. strongly or unduly inclined to gratification of the senses, tending to arouse bodily appetites, especially the sexual appetite, of or relating to sensualism. All right, so basically a woman who enjoys sex and is not really worried about weird ethical social conventions. So I, I think this is really fascinating because he's basically recommending – I'm not sure, though. I thought at first when I read it he was recommending polyamory, which is becoming a little more popular now. But it sounds more like he's recommending kind of um, one-night stands mm-hmm. rather than, than a true – polyamory but definitely not monogamy he is not hot for monogamy well okay that's a good point for me to insert this you know as we're reading this somebody who hasn't read to the end needs to keep in mind the the final passage where he sort of does get back to what you might say is monogamy we're going to go several weeks on this let me read martin ferguson smith's final paragraph of book four okay he says um it is not due to divine intervention or the arrows of venus that a woman with little pretension to beauty sometimes comes to be loved not infrequently the woman herself by her behavior by her obliging ways and by the scrupulous neatness of her person easily accustoms a man to spend his life with her Furthermore, mere habit generates love, for anything that is struck by incessant blows, no matter how lightly, in long lapse of time, is overpowered and made to yield. Have you not noticed that even drops of water falling upon a rock in long lapse of time hollow out that rock? And those are the final words of Book 4 which are going to follow after the long discussion of the pitfalls of romantic love that we're talking about now. So maybe this is something to wait for, to process along the way. And, and I don't and, think blows was the right word to use there. <laughs> <laughs> but if Martin Ferguson Smith is being literal, he, he does include the phrase, easily accustoms a man to spend his life with her. Mm-hmm. So, that would not be necessarily a, a statement that everybody ought to be monogamous and spend their whole life married between one man and one woman. But yeah, on the but other hand, just like every that he's not having sex somewhere else. That's right. That's true, that's, too. You it's could make a very strong argument that you could spend your life with a very homely woman like that, but also find the wandering Venuses. There's a lot of clarification think, yeah. to this chapter because uh, the next few sections will start to get a little bit into misogyny. There's some decent evidence that humans are not evolutionarily likely to, to really be monogamous and that there's, that, that it's more of a social thing than, than, um, than really something that's uh, normal for us. And so I, you know, being a good observer, I think he's, he has noticed that, but I think for most people who wind up being, you know, having more than one partner, it's not because they can't, I guess I'm getting a little bit further down, but it's, it's, 
to me, my observations is not because they can't achieve their, you know, like they're having this endless frustrated desire that they want more than they can get. And as soon as they're over one orgasm, they want another one is more that they get tired of each other. (laughs) But he doesn't mention that at all. Takes you back to the general discussion of variety and whether variety is something we seek. And yet it's not really necessary to have a life full of pleasure. Just you don't necessarily have to continuously replace the components of pleasure. But as, as I think Elaine has mentioned herself before in the past, if you get tired of the same thing, then that's a form, I think, of lack of pleasure. Yeah. To, to feel that yeah. way towards something, to be tired of it, to be over accustomed. Go ahead. And Elaine. there's a there's a great book if if uh, any of our listeners are interested in religious influences and sexuality by Daryl Ray, D-A-R-R-E-L, Ray, Sex and God, How Religion Distorts Sexuality. I got to um, meet him. I went on a uh, an atheist cruise a few years ago, and he was the speaker. <laughs> um, and he's, here we are in this cruise boat, and he's given us science lectures on sex, which is really fascinating and how how different organisms are and you know where humans fall in that so if you're interested in that kind of thing it's a great that sounds like something out of a libertine novel (laughs) 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 what the cruise (laughs) yeah the cruise everything okay hey listen let me before i forget to say this i think this is something philosophically more on track would be rather than the atheist cruise you remember Lucretius pretty early on used the analogy about looking up at the sky and Uh saying that if you looked up the first time, you'd be amazed by what you see in the sky. But the more you look up, you the less amazed you get tired of it. You don't even bother to look up anymore. Yeah. So got him previously acknowledging the idea of of, uh, growing tired and and, boredom. uh, Yeah. But he doesn't bring it in here. You know, I'm just Mm. I've noticed that. And. It sounds, but this may be just his experience that he just felt like he, he just couldn't get to whatever it was that he was going for. So I'm thinking about the where he just says love, like one thing. Um, there is, as far as and it's been a while since I've looked at this, but I think the the modern understanding of that this whole complex of love, romance, and so on is that there is infatuation. Yes. Okay, and he's he's talking about infatuation mostly mm-hmm. here, and and then there's yeah. and then there's lust, which can just be purely sexual, and then there's attachment, which is that kind of oxytocin bonding, and people have them in different orders. You know, we think of infatuation as being at the onset, and lust and infatuation kind of going hand in hand, and then bonding coming later. For some people, the infatuation or lust or the romance often together with infatuation, that can come after bonding as friends. So there's mm-hmm. there's different orders that, that these things can happen for people. And some people don't get lust. Some people don't get infatuation or romance. Uh, some people don't get a lot of bonding. So there's, there's a lot of different ways that this can be. When when uh hold on let me check what translation this was when monroe said uh venus the pandemian uh, i looked up that word and wanted to see if it had a connection to uh demisexuality oh it didn't 
then okay, yeah, and that's <laughs> one thing I was talking about: de- demisexual or demiromantic or mm, and that is, that, that is exactly what you were just talking about yeah. about the the attachment coming first and um, about partners growing tired of each other. I wonder if since this was a bit of a squirrely off the wall section leading you know, paragraph to paragraph, almost like it was stream of consciousness. I wonder if uh, that part was circumvented because he mentioned the, uh, you know, visit the wandering Venuses. Maybe that was just his solution to it, and he didn't feel the need to address it with extra words. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he was talking about something people would have known what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. It's, it sounds very much like that. So what about this part here that I've, and I mentioned the pain? aspect and that some people are turned on by pain in this uh let's see which which section down are my i'm in room one two three four four in the fourth section the biting yeah so it's 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 he says what they have sought they tightly squeeze and cause pain of body and often imprint their teeth on the lips and clash mouth to mouth and kissing so it's like mixing in the fighting in the in the sex because the pleasure is not pure and there are hidden stings which stimulate to hurt. Um, so he's he's explaining the fact that people sometimes bite each other during sex as because they've they've been subject to hidden stings, and it's making them want to hurt the other person. What I have read as the explanation for that is that the pain stim is uh, it stimulates endorphins and you know these pleasure molecules, and that's. And, you know, people have learned that that will get them there, and that's what they do, why they do that. But he's saying it's because you've had these hidden stings to yourself that is making you want to hurt the other person. Germs of frenzy. (laughs) That could be the title of a book. Yeah, right. <laughs> but there must be not, there must be another mechanism as well because it's not uh, this one would be that uh, to be to accept to be bitten, but why would people have the drive to bite? So that there has to be something something else what also drives then a lover to bite their partner. You don't think it's because it causes them pleasure? A lot of animals yeah. play bite each other. Yeah. As a sign of affection. Yeah, well, but, see, uh, Stallings says what they long for is that they hurt the flesh by their possessing, often sinking teeth and lips and crushing as they kiss, since what the lovers feel is not some pure and simple bliss. Rather, there are stings that lurk beneath it, pains that shoot, goading them to hurt the thing that's made madness take root, whatever it may be. So this is much more like it's almost like a revenge bite. Or defense. I don't think, I don't think that is a mechanism. So I still didn't recognize anything what fits, what would fit there. With reality, yeah, I, yeah. I don't either. I think people do it because it creates pleasure, not because they're yeah, yeah. mad. Yeah, in some way, but but what is the mechanism? Why does it create pleasure? So I still didn't have see an explanation. Oh, oh, we know that. that. So Martin, we know that it's the same as like hot pepper. It stimulates endorphin release. No, no, this is if to get bitten, but but to bite uh, is different. You mean receiving the bite is different from the biting? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, if you know that it causes pleasure to your partner, doesn't that cause you pleasure if you care about no, your partner? I, 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 in my experience, it's, it's asymmetric, and the, the partner doesn't know it. So it, it's something driven 
what drove the partner, and yeah. uh, it was really limited to close to climax. So, 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 then there has to be a mechanism which drives that. I mean, it can be somehow related to pleasure, but it's a different mechanism than uh, getting endorphin from uh, experiencing the pain because it's the one who bites. Huh? Yeah. And, okay. Uh, and it is spontaneous. So. So, right. so, so, so for that mechanism, I don't see explanation, proper explanation here, and I also haven't seen it anywhere else. I bet there's been some research on that. There, be I mean, it's certainly out there. It, it just I don't know it. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I haven't encountered it. Should we move on to the next section? I do want to say that spend a little bit more time on this, but he he contrasts sex with meat and drink so meat and drink are taken into the body and as they can fill up certain fixed parts and this way the craving for drink and bread is easily satisfied but the from the face and beautiful bloom of man nothing is given into the body to enjoy save flimsy idols a sorry hope which is often snatched off by the wind so i it sounds like he just really did not get sexual satisfaction <laughs> because my experience is totally different uh, mine also. It, it's different. Yeah, it's different. Like, I mean, like when I eat, I do get hungry again. And if I've had sex, you know, I will want sex again at some time. But it's not, it's not that fast, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's not unsatisfiable. There is a d- definite ability to experience satisfaction, and I feel sorry for Lucretius and. If Epicurus thought this for Epicurus, because that, that seems like a disappointing state of affairs. Now there, when you say something like that, I'm just going to have to repeat that. I think we ought to recommend that anybody listening to our discussion today, listen, be sure to listen to the next several weeks as well, because this uh-huh. is a long section. And it's going to take twists and turns that not everybody's going to like. I think in the end, it comes down to a, and this is just a general comment to insert while we're talking, but I'm reading words like frenzy and, as you said, Elaine, infatuation and madness and furious passion and rage. And I'm thinking that what he's ultimately advising against is never giving in to that force of intoxication or infatuation, that he's not necessarily saying okay. don't engage. He's certainly not saying don't engage in sex. He's, right. he's going to say at the end, at the end that it that uh, you can even spend your whole life with another person. I think he's ultimately advising the fact that when you're intoxicated, you're going to get burned. You're going to have a hangover. You're going to have a lot of pain that comes from being extremely intoxicated. And and obvious, I think most of us would probably testify that romantic relationships are some of the most dangerous things that we can engage in in life. They can lead to t- tremendous pain if they're not yeah. handled properly. Yeah, yeah, so it, I agree. And I, I see what you're saying. Try Cass, to I'm glad but, you said that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> because I, Elaine, you're my gonna, theory. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I'll just say this. As, uh, as Charles has indicated in the following sections, much of it is devoted to sort of how to prevent yourself from getting overly attached to somebody. To, he's saying, think about X, Y, and Z. And if yeah. you think about these things, then you won't be so intoxicated. So mm-hmm. anyway, go ahead, Elaine. Well, so what I think about, because I dislike infatuation. I don't like it. I think it's a problem. But, you know, for some people, it might be fine. But I think it's partly cultural that we have that promoted. I'm fine with bonding and lust. 
but infatuation before you know somebody, what it really requires is that you idealize this person yes. because you don't yes. know them. And to me, that does fit in with the impossibility of satisfying desires for non-existent things. So if you have yes. idealized this person into some kind of an archetype or a goddess and you don't have any idea who they really are, you're never going to be satisfied because this person that you've imagined and projected doesn't exist. And so that yes. I, I would totally agree with. He doesn't exactly say that, but I could buy that that's what he's talking about. But he's going to say it next week. He's going to say okay, it very awesome. soon as soon as we okay. get to that passage. That's he's cool. going to say specifically that. Okay. He's going to say specifically Good. that. And he's going to give a long list. Charles used the word misogyny earlier, and I don't know that that's the appropriate word, but he's going to go on a long list of different types of women and things you should think about to try to make sure that you don't over-idealize somebody, right? Charles, that's what you're talking about, uh, I think. Different, different section. Um, okay. The section where I think is it, it can kind of delve into that is where he talks about the type of like the, the type of passion that women experience and how that is conversely different to men, which I mean we okay, I don't uh, that. today that's not true. Um, <laughs> no, I, I know what section you're talking about with um, the different characters and yes, and, yeah, and. That's something I wanted to um, kind of talk about a few months back, but I wanted to wait until we were here in the podcast because I got this I got this thing lined up for it on the forums. Yeah, and let's let's postpone it till we get to that point because we really haven't finished the today's section yet. No. We're already beginning to run a little bit long on time. So, Elaine, I know you're going to be the one who probably pulls out the most detail here. How do we begin to bring it home for? the end of this particular episode. Do you want well, to talk about what we've got here? Postpone? Yes. I don't want to skip any of these paragraphs that you see something you'd like to talk about. So whatever you see, go ahead. Yeah. So this, this last one is talking about how you let, let's go with infatuation. If you're infatuated that you're going to neglect everything yes, else an and you're going to spend your whole fortune on your, mm -hmm. your, uh, your lover, you know, I guess if, if it's resulting in pain to you, and you wind up not having anything to eat, and then you regret it, and you wish you hadn't done it, then, yeah. But otherwise, huh, I wouldn't really see any problem in, in a, in, I mean, what is what good is in a state if you're not using it for pleasure? So if, if your partner enjoys having a beautiful jewelry, I, <laughs> maybe that's being, maybe that's being, being no, uh, that's... In the woman role, but, but I, um, I, I love buying things for people that I care about. It makes gives me pleasure, and I can't really think of a better use for money than to cause happiness. But now if you're doing it and you, you don't have a place to sleep and you don't have anything to eat, then, then you've probably gone too far for your own pleasure. There's a, there's a whole phenomenon slash uh, subculture that's uh, very new or contemporary that will tie in that I would like to tie into next week's and I'll make a thread about it. Okay. I'm curious. Lane, let me say this to address what you just said. What you just said about people who really do enjoy those things. Epicure says in Principle Doctrine 10 that yes. the things that we think may be depraved are fine, except for the fact that they lead to pain in the end. 
and, and yes. so that and so there's nothing intrinsically bad or intrinsically wrong with doing the things that he's listing here in terms of buying jewels and carousing and so forth. It's yeah. just a matter of practically speaking, will there be a bill to be paid for that? If so you can here, somehow avoid paying that bill. Then it's OK. So here he says the conscience stricken mind happily gnaws itself with remorse to think it is passing a life of sloth and ruining itself in brothels. So I would say if that conscience that you have is sort of an artificial social construction and you have the money to um, enjoy a life of sloth and brothels and you want to do it and it's not making you unhappy, I don't think Epicurus would object. And I, I kind of wish a little bit more he had Lucretius had questioned, where is this conscience coming from? Is it based in reality or is it based in idealistic social expectations? I think this is a situation where he's you would also consider that he's talking to Mimius. And when he says the family estate acquired with honor, as we talk about so forth, he's talking to a Roman senatorial class type person. Right. I say there's a lot of judgment about Roman virtues there and values. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting for the people who think that an Epicurean life consists in this sort of warped idea of ataraxia that you're kind of doing doing nothing is the best thing you know you're sitting and not, right not, right all right now here he's saying life of sloth is bad that's right that's a good point Elaine. that's right that would be what this might be one of the better passages to use against somebody like that because he's clearly saying a life of sloth and inattention to your duties and your family estates and so forth and your reputation and things like that he's clearly saying that that's a bad he's implying that's a bad thing from his point of view. From and here is Lucretius, right. the master Epicurean, taking the position that you should be concerned about the family estate and your honor and, and your reputation. If, so but forth. I would say if it if it bothers you, you know, that right, right. I don't think we should tell people those things should bother them if they don't bother them. Or that no, they, because philosophically, right. Yeah. Philosophically, the point is the goal is pleasure and you can't prejudge in any individual situation, what has to be the case, because there's no necessity in that. Listen, we don't want to close today either without talking about the last part of that last paragraph and the sort of jealousy, because I think that's kind of a memorable part of it, where he thinks she has thrown her eyes too freely abroad and glanced upon another yeah. and discovers the remains of a smiling pleasure upon her yes. face. Yeah. I think that's the jealousy people talk about. Jealousy and I'm I am somebody who does not naturally experience that kind of, kind of jealousy. It sounds miserable, and this is something that uh, polyamory is is a is a cure for. You know, the, <laughs> you know, you set it up so that you don't have that kind of problem or various kinds of open relationships. I'm too lazy to go around to brothels. Really, my sloth doesn't include brothels. If you're going to be really a sloth, you just gotta. You, you, that's, that's too much work, but <laughs> but um, but I, I jealousy is is a it sounds just awful. I don't recommend it either. But it is a very very common emotion among many many yeah. people, right, right, Charles? Yes, I've I've personally experienced <laughs> the downsides of an open <laughs> relationship, and I do not recommend it after that. I think that's part well, of social, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And I think he's putting mm-hmm. it here like it's an optional thing that you don't have to have it. He's he's mm-hmm. not saying that you have to be jealous of people, is he? It's not it's not clear to me that he's saying well, that. Well, he's just saying that it to me to me what he's saying is that is that the jealousy that you will feel upon the potential loss of your mm-hmm. loved one is part of the terrible pain that can result if, you, if you're not successful in your relationship. You think it would the be je- too oh much of gosh. a stretch to say that it's connected to infatuation and that yes. you're not going to get that if you're, you think it's a stretch, Charles? Or yeah. Be? Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, no, I meant the opposite. It's the opposite. Yeah. Cause I, I yeah. So he is been talking about infatu- infatuation. So if you, if you, if you try to rein in the infatuation part, maybe, Maybe the jealousy would be connected to that, and maybe that's why I I don't really have a problem with it myself. Or jealousy because you want more. Yeah. In my experience, certainly doesn't speak for everyone, but. But what? I'll I'll leave Charles? it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the jealous lover and the rage that they go through is sort of a classic situation that everybody can understand i think whether they've gone through it or not yeah it's a common illusion in life yeah it looks miserable you know empathetically i can feel the thing that they're feeling and i i feel bad for them that they're having that well i just think one of the things to take away from this is lucretius finds probably that he's as interested in this subject as most people are he really seems to me to get carried away and in going into the level of detail that he preserves in these sections because i think we may have not just one but maybe two more hundred line segments to cover before we get to the end of of book four and there's going to be a lot more discussion of how to tame your emotions and and if you think about certain things, maybe find it easier to avoid being infatuated and carried away. Yeah. So maybe like we, we need to come like to a conclusion. This is cool. <laughs> I've been well, waiting for this. Let's let, 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 like <laughs> but I think Martin, let's begin. Go ahead, Mark. For, for, Martin, Epicureans, Martin. It, uh, for Epicureans, it should not be uh, that much of an issue. That would be, so if you have listeners who, who are firmly in uh, uh, these traditional beliefs, yes, this would be could be offensive. But for an Epicurean, I don't see why. Um, I, yes, <laughs> go ahead, Charles. No. <laughs> I mean, it's just some of the some of the mindsets that Lucretius had, you know, about women. It's it doesn't hold up today. I mean, there are obviously people who think like that. Ah, uh, oh, I see. Yeah, okay. That, that, that I understand. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. It, 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 it's it's dated. So there's just a lot more to this section before he comes to a, a conclusion, and, and I'm not even really sure that he states his conclusion very clearly. But there's just a lot more to this section that we'll want to think about as we develop our own conclusions about what to make of it. Yeah, I mean, this section's like 600 lines long. It's important. Yes. <laughs> It is important. It's one of the most important activities of life and, yeah. and, and an activity of life that if you mishandle can be extremely painful. Yes. Yeah. So it deserves the attention that he gives it, I think. I don't think I there's agree. any doubt about that. It deserves a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Let's begin to close for the day, though. So closing thoughts to Martin. Oh, no, it's still, I'm still not completely wrapped around all this, so, so I couldn't give any <laughs> consistent comment right now. 
Okay. Charles. Uh, I don't think romantic partners are infinitely indivisible. (laughs) (laughs) Or infinite in number or interchangeability. Uh, Yes. Gosh. Okay. All right, Elaine. Um, I would say it's it's really wonderful how these are still timeless topics, are very important to talk about, and I think we benefit from openness and plain speaking when discussing it, rather than making making them taboo topics, because then we can learn how to how to handle uh, this important part of life in, in a pleasurable way. Oh, like the the dreams where you're falling, and then when you wake up in the first section. Yeah, yeah. You already have those, those hypnic jerks, weird experience. Mm-hmm. You know, as, you, as we close, it, it for some reason it strikes me at this moment how so different this is from a standard Christian, Jewish, Muslim, God created man and woman and man, woman for man, and you know all this all this stuff that's wrapped into the religious viewpoint of sexual relationships. It's just a very different approach. Okay. Anybody have anything else for the day? Otherwise, we'll close. Nothing for me. Okay. All right. Well, we'll come back in a week or so. Thanks everybody for your time today. All right. Yeah. Good week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.